The following episode may contain material that some listeners may find triggering or disturbing and may not be suitable for younger audiences, including depictions of sexual assault, violence, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I had to realize that we cannot control, you know, what situations we go through. However, we can control how we deal with them. And it's okay to give yourself grace to be mad and throw stuff and, you know, cry and be like, why me? But what I won't do moving forward is allow you to have that much power to control my feelings and what I say to you abused me wanted to go in like oh my gosh I haven't talked to you in three years like but he didn't deserve that um he didn't deserve that many words out of me and so I deleted that and I said thank you these are stories featuring everyday women who have overcome some extraordinary obstacles from ash media network this is the good news Hello again. This is season two of the Good News Podcast. My name is Ashley. I am the creator of Ash Media Network, and I also host and produce the Slay Girl Slay Podcast. The Good News is something near and dear to my heart. And if you listen to season one, you will know that this show started out as just this idea that I had sitting at my desk one day. It was a day I was really struggling and going through a lot of grief at the time, and I really needed something to hold on to and show me that things would eventually change and get better, that there was some good news on its way. So here we are. In our second season of sharing stories of some extraordinary women who have overcome some extraordinary obstacles. So as you listen, take them in, be open, extend some grace to these brave women who have decided to be vulnerable enough for us to share what they choose to share and apply what you learn to your life, to your story. Also, at the end of every episode, there will be a good resource. The good resource is located in the description of every episode with a list of links and or phone numbers to local services that may be available to you. Today's story is from Shoshana. You have to know Shoshana, or as I always call her, Shosh, was one of my very first supporters of my first show. She made me feel so good about myself every time she sent me a message. She was not shy at all, and I loved that about her. And one day, she sent me a message, and she was telling me about some of the things she had gone through in her life. And when I got the green light to produce season two of this show, Shosh was the first person I thought of. We've kept in contact through DMs over the last few years, and I reached out to her and I told her what I was working on. And before I could even fully ask her if she wanted to do it, she was in. I promise you, you will want to hear this story through the very end. Here, Shosh. My name is Shoshana, and I'm from Syracuse, New York. Syracuse is a small town, so there's really nothing to do here. There's just the university, like SU, 
Um, there's no clubs. There's no nightlife here. Um, it's more so just like a college-based town where everybody knows everybody. My mom is adopted from the Philippines, and we basically lived with my grandparents the whole time growing up. Um, I didn't understand it then, but I understand now because I'm in the same position. My mom was a single mother, so she worked a lot. And then, you know, by the time she got off work and stuff, like she probably wanted alone time. So my grandparents were really the ones that like taught me the most. My grandfather was a missionary and a pastor, so he didn't really believe too much in, you know, having a child out of wedlock. So they kind of kept me away from my father's side, but I was very, like, interested. I got close with my dad, mostly my senior year, but I, I did go over there when I was younger, but I was just more close with my grandparents and then my mom I'm closer with now because, you know, I can relate to things that we went through when we were younger. High school, I probably would say was like the worst chapter of my life that just kind of got me ready for everything that happened after that. My grandparents are white and then my mom is Filipino and my dad is black. I had three cultures that were like embedded in my head, but I just didn't know which way to go. Senior year was probably the first year that I kind of told my grandparents, like, I want my own relationship with my father. Like, whatever version of him that you guys have is fine. Like, I understand. I, I get where you guys are coming from. But I was just so lost and I was so sheltered that I felt like my dad is the one that had the key to kind of like expose me to the real world. My dad, I felt like he could teach me that type of stuff. People would talk about sex and drugs and I knew what it was, but like not the depth of it. It was like a conversation that like my grandparents just never wanted to have with me. My dad would tell me about morals or, you know, never change on family. Um, he would tell me, you know, it's okay like to be black. I was very confused. I wanted to be white because that's what I was used to. But then I wanted to fit in with the black crowd. So he, he really gave me like all the tools that I needed to kind of explore each topic and kind of like understand what was going on. But um, he passed my senior year. He had dialysis and diabetes and stuff like that. And every time he would go to dialysis, like we would always talk after everything was good. But this specific time, he had to get triple bypass surgery. And I remember him telling me, like, if something happens, like you make sure you take care of your brother. And I'm like, what is this man talking about? You know, like, why would he say something like that? And at, literally at that moment, I knew that he wasn't going to make it out of surgery. And I remember texting him and I was like, Dad, like, please don't die. I was like, I need you. I'm not going to be able to make it like through life without you. Like, just try to stay alive through this. Like, and me and you can be closer. And my grandma had his phone at the time and she texted me and she just like, she kind of went off. Like, you're scaring him. Like, stop saying that. And so at that moment, when my grandma told me that, I never too much spoke on feelings on my dad ever again. Later that night is when he passed and my cousin called me and told me. And when I went to the hospital, I just walked down the hallway. It was like a, it felt like I was walking for miles, but 
I just walked down the hallway and I kind of just like looked at him and I saw like my family crying and everything but I couldn't really put emotion to it because when my grandma texted me that's when all my emotions just were numb I never like spoke about it and then I stopped talking it was hard and through counseling I learned that that was probably the first time that I learned how to push feelings down so deep and never revisit them again I couldn't form like words I wouldn't talk. I ended up actually dropping out of school. It was the middle of my senior year and my mom just asked all my teachers to send home like work and I would finish the year at home because I just couldn't like I couldn't do it. I graduated and I remember like me and my dad would always talk about me going to college and I remember him always telling me like if you can get away from your environment, you'll be able to excel. So make sure that you go to college. I really didn't want to go, but I know it's the last thing my dad told me to do. So I went. He majored in videography there um, and he was pretty popular in Rochester. Um we in the beginning it was it was good like it was the first time that I like actually like went on a date or was in a car with someone that came and, and said hey get ready at eight o'clock like I'm gonna take you here I remember our first date we went to a um, coffee shop and I thought that was so cool because normally it's like okay let's go to Red Lobster like I don't want to do that so he took me to a coffee shop and I just remember we talked like about everything like I loved that about him because I feel like people get physical first that's how our relationship was in the beginning I felt like we were just like getting to know each other and we were compatible and we were friends and I told him about my life at home I knew about his life at home so I thought that you know it was like a perfect type of match I guess I really didn't know like what love was I think I was looking for my dad in him and because you know my dad passed he was the next closest thing to like a black male he would drink a lot I just remember he would like black out I would be like who am I to like judge him like this is just one part of him you know like it, it'll get better um and I'm not gonna leave because I would hate for someone to leave me just because I have like a flaw the first time that he like hit me was we went to a party at UB and we he was like talking to a girl and giving her his number. Every time I would walk by this girl at school prior to this, I always got butterflies and she was really pretty, like gorgeous. Every time I walk by this girl, like one, I can't stop looking at her and like I get butterflies and I really didn't know what was going on. And so when I saw him like, you know, talking to her at the party and they both had their phones out, I just was like, something's wrong. Like, no, it's not a girl crush. Like something's wrong. I knew right then and there. So I kind of like got in between them and I just was like, what's going on? I felt like he was taking her side. Like he just was like, move. Like, what are you doing? You look crazy what like you're my boyfriend and that's the first time I felt like rejection you know and I'm just like you know we're in a relationship I don't know what's going on and when we got back to the room he blacked out my roommates had to come like in the room 
and get him off of me the safety was called and they had to come and then you know we were I was facing getting kicked out of the dorms so I didn't speak on it ever again because I knew that I would have to I wouldn't have anywhere to live if we got into it again I used to call them sessions during the sessions um, it always happened at his house because um, getting burned with cigarettes it, it hurts so you know he didn't want me to like yell or scream or anything and remember I was facing getting kicked out of the dorms for the first situation so they, they, it was kind of like they were watching me he would always like tell me before he started you know like I'm going to get my anger out and he would be like you know I'm always mad that to buy my mom cigarettes he's like I hate that she smokes them and even though I'm gonna have to buy her another pack like me burning them it 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 makes me it releases some type of anger and I'd be like okay whatever this was like the first time and he'd be like I want us to go through the pain together and so the way that we would go through it together is he would burn a cigarette and then he would ash it on my leg. I have 182 marks on my legs. I mean, I've taken medicine, so they're not like as dark as they were, but that's how many times that he would burn my legs with cigarettes. I was listening to an episode on NPR's Code Switch called The Women Behind the Montgomery Bus Boycott. And when I say I was tapped in from the moment I pressed play, when we think about the bus boycott, we think about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, but we never really learned how this bus boycott was organized. But in this episode, you hear directly from the many women who organized for months and did what it took to make this bus boycott happen. And y'all, I was locked in the entire time. If you're interested in hearing more stories like this, you have to check out NPR's podcasts. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories of joy, stories of resilience, stories that are distinct and varied and nuanced as the Black experience itself. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. I think that during it, I just got so used to like the pain and it was something that he wanted to do to numb whatever he was going through. Eventually, I didn't make a sound. I didn't scream. I didn't flinch. He just always had like a candle lit and I would just watch the candle until he was done. And like watching the fire would just make me focus and like try to get through, you know, the sessions with him. I wouldn't cry or anything like that. I wouldn't like tell him to stop. I just thought it was like another situation where, you know, he may be mad or angry, but like, who am I to judge him? And I felt happy that he wanted me to 
go through that type of pain with him, even if it meant like bruising my body or, you know, getting physically hurt. At least it was different from getting like punched in the face unknowingly. At least I could see like when the next cigarette burn would come. The punching and the spitting and the kicking, I didn't know when that was going to happen, so it would catch me off guard. So not that I enjoyed this type of abuse more, but um, at least I could prepare, you know, for like the burnings and stuff. As I sat back and listened to Shosha's story, I hurt for her. She was mourning the loss of her dad and trying to fill that loss with the love of someone else, someone who abused her. Immediately, I wanted to know why. Why did you allow him to do that? Why didn't you leave right then and there? But I had to remember that until we ourselves are in her exact position, going through what she went through, we have no right to judge. So after telling her how sorry I was that she had to experience this, I asked her, why did she stay? And then when did she leave? I felt like I should have got a pat on the back because I, I got so used to that pain that I didn't make a sound. So, okay, like I hope, you know, the session hurries up, like it's not over an hour. But if it wasn't, I was able to stay still enough to just, you know, wait until he was done. I went and got his name tattooed on my ankle, his initials. I walked by that girl again. We were in the library and I saw like her wrist and she had the same initials. And I remember going up to her and I was like, are you dealing with so-and-so? And she was like, yeah, he was at my house last night. And I was so mad because the night before is when he had an hour and a half session with me, which was the longest he's ever had. And he told me after the session that he wanted me to go back to the dorm. Now, normally when he would do the sessions, I would sleep over and whatever, like I would get over it. But I, I kind of was just like, how dare you? Like you literally abused me for so long. I literally sat there and took it, said nothing. And then you sent me home. And now I'm looking at this girl who I've been looking at for at least six months. And we were six months into our relationship and she has your initials and she's telling me that she went to your house last night. And I was like, what do you mean? Like he was there last night. And she was like, yeah, she was like, you know, like, I, I guess it's the time to tell you, you know, he doesn't want to be with you. But the only reason why he's with you is because of your cancer. I was like, cancer? What do you mean cancer? And she's like, yeah, he told me that you have cancer and that's why he won't leave you. And she was like, I, me and him Tuesday, mind you, this was a Friday. She was like, me and him Tuesday, he had me get an abortion because you're, you told him you have cancer. And she was like, but I have to go to class. She was like, I'm pretty sure you and him will talk about this. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. And she walked away. And so my friend, she walked me back to my dorm. I was boohoo crying. And I was like, let's go get a pregnancy test right now. And so she went and got me a pregnancy test and I was pregnant too. Fast forward to maybe four weeks, you know, after that, he had talked me into getting my first abortion. 
And the day that I got an abortion, he dropped me off to the dorms. He didn't speak to me for three years. I had to go back home and face my grandparents. Abortion to them was the biggest no-no. Um, so just like I put my feelings, you know, so far deep down, like I did with my dad, I had to do the same thing because life keeps going. I didn't have time to go through those feelings because one, you know, if you go through counseling, they'd be like, okay, let's get through the cheating. Let's okay. Now that we're done getting through the cheating, like let's get through the physical abuse. Okay. Now we're done getting through the physical abuse. Let's get through getting burned over and over and over and over and over and having marks that even if you try to for, forget them you got marks that are reminding you of every single time that that happened and then let's get over that but let's talk about how you were pregnant and how somebody else was pregnant let's talk about how you have a initials on your leg that even if you get them covered up they're still there okay and then let's get over that but let's talk about how he told someone that you had cancer and that's why he couldn't be with you and then let's get over that but let's talk about going through an abortion and then going back to the dorm and never being able to talk to that person but okay ash let's get over that too every single thing or every single layer that went into the story of me and him i didn't even have the mental capacity to feel a way about it because let's scratch all that but your father just died seven months prior to that I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't feel any way about it because now I'm back home and life is still going. I got to get a job back at home because I clearly failed school, you know, and I lived with my grandparents. So forget all that, too. But now your grandparents are pastors and you just got an abortion and the whole church is wondering why you're back home. So I couldn't really think about it. I didn't have I, I there wasn't anything that I could feel. It's too deep. Here at Ash Media, we are and will always be strong advocates of therapy and supportive of those who seek help from mental health professionals. Shosh mentioned that after moving back home with her grandparents and dropping out of school, losing her dad, the abuse, the abortion, that she had completely shut down. She stopped engaging with everyone around her. And her grandparents caught her Googling ways to take her life. So they put her in therapy. I asked Shosh, what did her sessions look like with her new therapist? Was she open to therapy? Was she comfortable sharing right away? And with so much to unpack and unlearn, where did she even begin? I reverted back to what I did with my dad. I didn't talk. I didn't say anything. Um, my sessions were an hour. You know, she would try at first to get me to talk, and I literally was mute. I would just watch the minutes go down. Um, eventually, you know, she brought me in one time and she lit a candle, and the lights were down. And normally in these sessions, because I had gone for two months, she would just do her work. Like, girl, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm not going to make you and whatever. So this time I came in, the lights were down, and there was a candle lit. And she was like, listen, regardless of if you talk to me or not, I'm still going to get paid. And she told me, like, you need to utilize me. She was like, I know that stuff has happened. I'm not judging you. And I started talking. I remember I kept seeing that candle 
It was a cocoa butter candle. And I remember I just kept looking at the fire and it just kept making me talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And we took no breaks. And she told me that was the first time in her whole career that she's ever cried and that she she's not allowed to. Like they're taught to have poker face. She asked if she could give me a hug and I told her yes. And she was close to me for the next two years after that. That was my go-to. So I asked Shosh, what was the biggest lesson or tool that she learned in therapy that might be helpful to all of us? And also, what happened to that guy? To let it out. It's okay to talk about things and it's okay to speak on your point of view no matter how messy it looks. The more that you keep things inside, you know, outside can be a beautiful picture, but inside you're going to have war with yourself until you get it all out. College, me dropping out of college happened in 2010. I had my son in 2013. He wrote me, So he commented on my son and he said, congratulations. And I remember like typing, how dare you? But then I deleted it and I was like, breathe. Okay, like let's try to breathe because I felt myself going in a panic, right? So everything that I talked about in therapy, you know, I had let out, we're combing through literally emotions and we're getting through everything. But now I'm angry. Like I wasn't angry with him before. I promise you, even after the abuse and, you know, even him lying to the girl, telling him I had cancer, whatever. Like I'm a very understanding person. So I was never mad at him. But when he congratulated me on my son, I was pissed. And so I had to realize that we cannot control, you know, what situations we go through. However, we can control how we deal with them. And it's okay to give yourself grace to be mad and throw stuff and, you know, cry and be like, why me? But what I won't do moving forward is allow you to have that much power to control my feelings and what I say to you. I feel like when he wrote me the, you know, the, the, the abused me wanted to go in like, oh my gosh, I haven't talked to you in three years. Like, But he didn't deserve that. Um, He didn't deserve that many words out of me. And so I deleted that and I said, thank you. The sessions with him, you know, there was a candle that kept my focus. And then my session with my counselor, the candle kept my focus and made me able to talk. Um, When the pandemic started, Everyone was like doing crafts, you know, we were stuck in the house. So everybody was coming up with business plans. And, you know, there's all these apps where people are talking about what they're doing and how they're making money and we're getting refund checks. And I was at a really low point. Um, I had just moved into my first townhouse with my kids and the bills were kind of high. And I was like, I want to do something to make money. But what can I do that will sell like I don't have enough money for it not to work so I need to find something that is different from everything else that I know is going to sell so prior to that all my friends all my gifts every year were always candles if I was happy like I want a candle if I'm sad I want a candle candles are what like kind of held my emotions you know and I felt like I'd be in a room and I'd be mad and that emotion is in the air but the candle and the smell the candle fire burns it and the smell would come 
kind of drowned out like the nasty feeling. So I loved candles. Like anytime you come to my house, there's a candle. So I looked up the ingredients and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to make candles, but I want them to sell. I said, I'm going to send out candles with emotions on them. I remember a month prior to that, I got my first eviction notice and I was like, I'm pretty sure there's a hundred moms who've gotten eviction notice. Let's make a candle call, just got an eviction. So that wasn't enough. I'm like, I have a label, it says that, but like, how am I gonna get someone to buy it? I gotta tell them what happened. So I told them, you know, my son's dad left. I didn't know how to pay bills. And when I got home, there was nothing in the house except for a bed. And I was laying on the floor with a candle figuring out how am I going to pay these bills. With that candle, I added links to programs in upstate New York that could help you with your rent. Um, I gave like ways to budget and stuff like that. And I was like, OK, that'll be my first candle. It'll be called Just Got an Eviction. I was like, okay, one candle isn't gonna do it. I have 50,000 stories, let's make another one. So I came up with Angels in the Sky. And I originally was just gonna speak about my dad passing, but I was like, no, like I wanna talk about the baby that's in the sky. So I spoke on death and I spoke on abortions. And I spoke on, you know, how, yes, it's sad, but it's kind of cool to know that you have like another set of eyes watching you from a different view, like in the sky. So that was my second candle. My third one was Stretch Mark Bay. And I just remember everyone like always, you're so pretty, you're so pretty. And I'd be like, Ugh, I have marks, like I have stretch marks from these kids. And I put a candle out that said that. And I put the candles out and I sold out within 20 minutes. It's called Sounds Like Shosh. So everybody calls me Shosh. And I was like, all the rumors that were, you know, about me in high school, everything that had transpired in college. And then, you know, there's a whole birth story with my son. I was like, anything that comes out of my mouth, I want people to say, like, it sounds like Shoshana. It sounds like Shosh. My whole candle line is under Sounds Like Shosh, and there's seven OG candles. The candle idea, it's literally a million dollar project, right? Because we're always going through stuff. I can put a candle out right now that says listening to a podcast and speak on this opportunity with you and the candle's gonna sell. I can put out a candle that says I have the kids tonight, which I actually do have a candle that's named that, and it's actually wine scent. And I'm literally complaining about how I have the kids, how my other friends get to go out, how I have to watch the kids, and how it's okay to be sad that you have to be in the house because you have children. That candle sold out. Once I started seeing them sell out, and I started people would write me emails on what they would go through and oh my gosh like I can't believe this happened to you like it was cr like literally I'm not even joking it was crazy so I was like okay I'm just gonna come out with a whole line and let's see how it did I've been able to speak on panels about the candle I've had pop-up shops every single time that I drop every single time that I drop I sell out immediately what a plot twist, right? This was actually my first introduction to Shosh a few years ago. She was a listener of my show and she messaged me her story. She told me about her candles. 
And I remember how it made me feel hearing her story and visiting her website and learning about each candle and the story behind it. She sent me some and y'all, I see why they sell out so fast. These aren't just your typical candles you get from the store that are manufactured for the masses and stocked nicely on a shelf. These candles have meaning. These candles carry someone's hurt, her pain, her triumph. They are her victory. I asked Shosh what was the best piece of advice she could give for someone listening right now that may have experienced this same thing or just could relate to her in any way. Here's what she had to say. Find out what love means to you and chase that. And I mean pure love. There's a Bible verse that it starts and tells you what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It does not boast. It does not envy. And I know that's not everybody's version of what love is. And that and that's perfectly fine. But if you can find out what love means to you, to your core, and chase that, you'll be okay. And for the people that have lost somebody, you know, dear to you. It really is cool to know for a fact that they can see you from a different view. Like I would rather have people that love me be able to see me from above versus right next to me, right beside me, right in front of me. So they're still watching you. They can still see you. They still see what's going on. You just don't have them physically. And that's where your memory taps in, where you can, you know, teach yourself to go through down memory lane together. Don't ever be the type of person to say that could never be you because life has a crazy way of humbling you. So I would stay open minded and I would stay in prayer because God knows your heart and you don't want to learn a lesson twice that you could have learned the first time. Everything's going to be okay, and that everything that happens in between is most definitely for a reason. The good news is always going to be that it's for a reason and it's just up to you to decide, you know, to figure out why. My last question for Shosh was, what did she learn about herself? I then asked her if she could go back and tell her younger self something, what would she say? That I am a special, special, special girl And that all the voices that told me that I wasn't, it just created a platform for me to get here. God chooses people to go through specific things to help other people. And that I am a vessel and the first candlelight that can go through a dark tunnel and still reach back to help the people that are behind me. You're going to go through hell and God is the one that's holding those reins. The ride's going to be really hard, but you got to keep holding on even though they're burning. And you're going to come out on the other side and you're lit and you're special and you're important and you're loved. If you or someone you know has experienced domestic violence, Click the links in the description of today's episode to learn more about your local services that may be available to you. Help is available. 
The National Domestic Violence Hotline is listed in the description and you can call or chat at any hour, day or night to keep up with Shosh and her journey and the Sounds Like Shosh candle business. Her website and information is linked as well. The Good News Podcast is a collection of personal stories told week by week with brand new episodes every Wednesday. Brought to you by Ash Media Network. And remember, with every bad day, there will always be a good day to follow. With every obstacle comes a victory. There is always something good to look forward to. The good news is always on its way.